Late Night Conversations with Patricia Anduli, Monday to Thursday, 10 p.m. till midnight. 104 to 107 nationwide. This is SAFM Late Night Conversations and I'm with you until midnight. We are together until midnight as a matter of fact. So we are talking um, educational conversations. Remember you can reach us on DSTV channel 814. But for now, I'd like to welcome our A-team guest, Dr. Craig Panara, who's an Associate Professor of Mathematics Education at the University of Witwatersrand. Thank you very much for joining us, Dr. Panara. Thank you, Patricia. Good evening and good evening to the listeners. I wish that we were going to be talking about something extremely progressive, but we are going to be talking about (laughs) the deep divide that uh, COVID-19 pandemic has caused in the education system, mainly in mathematics. Now, we are aware, uh, Dr. Panara, that um, there is evidence that shows that mathematics, especially mathematics, other than other subjects, learners in less um, resourced or less privileged schools are about four years behind their counterparts in the same grade where schools are well resourced. Let's talk about what has caused this divide besides the COVID-19 pandemic. Patricia, I think um, that research that that you're quoting is work that was started in foundation phase. And so they mapped the progression, compared the progression, should I say, of learners in quintile one, two, and three schools, which are typically schools, um, poor performing schools in townships and rural areas. They mapped the performance of those learners and compared it to learners in, let's call them X Model C schools, so well-resourced schools. And what they found in those first three years is that by the end of grade three, the learners were three years behind their counterparts in the better-resourced schools, which is a really scary um, finding. And they then extrapolated that to grade nine, and they found that the, the discrepancy slowed down. I mean, it increased, but its rate of growth decreased. So by grade nine, they were four years behind. So it's not something that happens um, all of a sudden. It's kind of starting when when the kids enter school. So they're coming to school with it already. Sure. Dr. Panara, this is very, very sad, given the fact that these uh, ex-Model C schools, as we put them, and uh, rural and township schools all fall under um, state schools. Why is this divide there? Because if we are saying that these schools are all government schools, why are there a lack of resources? And I'm talking here not only the the, the, the technical resources, but also manpower resources, because if you've got teachers that are qualified, then the gap can be breached. Well, you know, I mean, all, that's all on paper, right? Mm. Um, we know the history of our country. We know that, that the education system has been one of the most successful spaces of apartheid um, succeeding, right? Um, and the legacy of it lives on. So we have teachers who are teaching who were, went to school in apartheid-segregated um, schools, who were trained in segregated colleges, all of that contributes and, and grows. And I mean, we have to look back and acknowledge the past, but we also have to, I think we also have to stop blaming the past and think like, how can we change this? Um, but I think what we're seeing is 20 plus years um, of attempts to change things, not much has changed. It's really, really difficult.
A-teamers, we are speaking to Dr. Craig Panara, who's the Associate Professor of Mathematics Education at the University of Witwatersrand. And we're talking about the deep divide between the schools that have and the schools that don't have, especially when it comes to mathematics. I'd like you, A-teamers, to join us and just uh, ask your questions or give us your uh, viewpoint as to why this is happening and what we can do to curb it. The number to call is 011-714-4045 or you can call 891 For WhatsApp, send them to 614 Dr. Panara, now with COVID-19, things have become even worse um, because other schools have been able to maintain an online studying platform, whereas other schools totally shut down, especially for grade uh, nines. Yeah, I mean, the bottom end of high school, right, grade 8 and grade 9, I mean, grade 9s will go back next week, we hope, for the first time since March, and grade 8s will only go back at the end of the month. Um, and so for us, because um, the work that we've done in our project at Vits for the last five-plus years has focused particularly on grade, grades 8 and 9, this is the area where we're most concerned because it's been historically an area of neglect um, in the education department. But I have to acknowledge that in recent years, there has been much more attention to the problems in grade eight and nine. And so the department itself is definitely aware of those things. But when we talk to people on the ground at the moment, their kind of re- um, continued comment is that the focus de facto right now is on getting grade 12 through grade 12. And, you know, there's actually a similarity here with 2010 because after the World Cup, we had massive disruption in the education sector. We had labor action and schools were closed for quite a long time. And when schools reopened um, and we spoke to schools and teachers, our project was just starting at that time in 2010. Their response was, we've got to focus on grade 12, then 11, then 10. And when we said, what about grade eight and nine? They said, no, it's fine. We've got next year to start working with them. And we're seeing a repeat of that kind of thing happening on the ground. I'm not saying that's what the department is doing, but that's what seems to be happening in reality. And that is really, really worrying. Mm, very worrying indeed and obviously we need to look uh, at the current uh, state and obviously try to look beyond 2020 but before we do that I'd like you to tell us a bit more about the research uh, that was based in Pakistan around mathematics okay so so for the listeners this research is really interesting because we've been looking to find instances of where there has been school closure for through, through natural disasters so the earthquake in Pakistan is one. Ebola virus in Sierra Leone is a, in another. Hurricane Katrina in the U.S., um, another. Um, and so lots of interesting research has been done. Um, the, the, the research done in Pakistan, um, the schools, they were only closed for about three months. And obviously it depended on how close schools were to the actual site of the, of the earthquake. And um, four years later, when they did some research to see what the effects had been of the earthquake. They found that for the most part, whether schools or whether communities were, say, 10 k's or 40 kilometers away from the earthquake site, the infrastructure, the housing, most of those things had been sorted out and there was very little difference between them. But there was a difference in the growth, the physical height of children, which is interesting. Um, But 
there was also a difference in their education achievement. And what they found was, for, in general, that children up to the age of about 15 at the time of the earthquake, so from 3 to 15, they were up to one and a half years behind their, their counterparts in schools that hadn't been severely affected by the earthquake. You know, and they were only missing school for three months. Our, our time loss um, for COVID in South Africa is way bigger than that. And how then can we keep up? How then can we ensure that with the remaining 76 teaching days left in 2020, should we start school next week, um, that we are able to keep up for the students in the schools that are, are, are less uh, privileged? Can I answer that question in three parts? Excellent. Um, the, first, the first is to say that I think we need to stop thinking of 2020 as a period from now to December and as a year, an academic year. We have several people in education who said the year is over, kiss it goodbye, move on. And while we get their point, we don't think that that's necessarily the best way to think about it. We think that we should be treating the rest of 2020 and the whole of 2021 as one continuous learning period. And so it's not about saying what can we, you know, what can we achieve by the end of 2020 as the primary goal? Of course, we must set some um, targets, but let's treat the end of 21 as really the main, the main goal. So that's the first thing. The second thing is about catching up and keeping up for, for kids in schools for the poor. The reality is we have two separate education systems in South Africa. And so talking about keeping up as much as we'd like that I'm not so sure how possible that is. What I think we need to do is invest our time this year and next year in preparing these learners as best we can for what lies ahead in 2021. So that might be grade 10, it might be grade 9, um, it might be something else, depending on what age we're talking about. But we think treating this as, say, a 15- or 16-month learning period is a better way to think about it because let's face it, how many kids are going to fail, be failed at the end of 2020? I don't mm. think any school can easily justify failing a learner. They are going to get promoted to the next year, whatever year they're in. And so let's treat this as a continuous period. Now, let me go to the lines. I've got A-teamers here who are holding on the line. Uh, remember, A-teamers, you can join in with our A-team guest, Dr. Craig Panara, who's an associate professor of mathematics uh, education at the University of Witwatersrand. And we are talking about the disruption that COVID-19 has made and how we can possibly change and lay a firm foundation in the school maths uh, system. And the number to dial is 0891-104-207 or WhatsApp 0614-104-107. Mtandeki in Kronstadt, very good evening to you. Hi, good evening, Patricia, and good evening to your guest there. I just joined the debate now, and I followed exactly where the issue is, and thanks to your summary as well. One thing I think perhaps needed to be looked at in order to address the whole question of an equal development of understanding or progress in the mathematics uh, be- between the private schools and the public schools, including the effects brought as a result of the COVID. Firstly, I think 
given the, the number of uh, higher institutions of education in South Africa, there needed to be a very, very concerted effort to ensure that we link up with those institutions, with the different schools for development, especially where history may have told us performance in particular schools in particular town did not function well or develop well. Such higher institutions, uh, through plethora of ideas, can change the situation, but without in the equation, leaving the parents, the students, and including the institution as a whole. I'm, I'm feeling that that particular approach will be important. But again, the aspect of the, of the COVID has presented a number of challenges, which in my view requires a particular review of approach to dealing with the education in, in the whole world anyway. Therefore, I feel the professors could. I remember one of the programs that were there to ensure that we try to improve the balance in the equation uh, was one of the, I think it's a late Professor Smith, was a mathematician, was a very regular on the television. But it depends on the programs per, per media, the one that can be given to our people. Because we need to ensure that we invest a lot in that particular area. The interest that must definitely be consistently generated to young people to see the importance of being disciplined whilst at school, and especially at this particular moment when government plays a very important role in supporting kids. Now, I think that I appreciated this particular area. But lastly, during this week, I heard that during the news bulletins of the media, that the private uh, institution was crying that because no regular payments of the school fees by students resulting into one some teachers losing their jobs two some students not reporting for schools i think is a is a point that when we are confronted by covid 19 we said we're putting the life first now, I think the government succeeded to ensure that the life of our people is protected. Now, private institutions as well, and I do know the extent of cost paid in the private institutions, should put now as a challenge that what do we put moving forward? Should we put the understanding of the unknown that may appear tomorrow so that at least everyone is comfortable in the institution? Other than that, uh, Patricia, I appreciate your program. Really, SAFM keeps the nation informed about these particular issues. Thank Th- you. Thank you very much, Mtandegi. Um, uh, Dr. Panara, maybe you'd like to uh, join in and uh, comment on what Mtandegi has said. Thank you, Patricia, and thank you, Auntie Mtandegi. I think there are, those are three really important um, issues that are raised. I want to start with the first one, because I think the spread of what has been said there is about the partnership. Um between different stakeholders in education, and I completely agree with what he's saying. I actually want to start at the bottom. He was starting at H- with higher education institutions. I want to start with the learners, because I want to say to parents and to learners who have been out of school for four, more, maybe more than four months, what is it that you're doing for the rest of this week and next week and the following week, when you, if you're not back at school yet, to help get yourself ready to go back to school? 
We've heard so much in the press about teachers need to be doing this and the department needs to be doing that. But actually, the learners themselves can be doing some stuff too. And I want to encourage parents to encourage the children to get out their school books and start going through it. And perhaps make a list in maths of the things they don't understand so that on day one, when they get back, they can say to the teacher, please, can you start here? Because this is what I don't understand. Um, we need learners to take responsibility for their learning more so than ever before in the time of COVID-19. Because you mentioned earlier that there's 70-something days potentially um, of schooling. And I say schooling, not teaching, because I think the reality is that most learners will only be in school for 50% of that time. It's not physically possible for the, the entire school and learner body to be on site at once. Um, in any school, I think, in this country. Um, so, so that, that um, situation of learners taking responsibility for their education and not thinking, unless the teacher's there, I'm never going to learn, that needs to change. It's a culture in our country that is really not productive of us moving forward. In terms of ATIs, um, I would agree, but I also think we have to hold the education department, both provincial and national, accountable. Their responsibility is to develop, to deliver quality education um, in the schooling sector. And so as much as it's important to pull ATIs in, we need to be holding schools and districts and provinces accountable for delivering the quality. I'm going to stop there. I know that there were two other points, but I'm sure you've got several other listeners on the line who are wanting to speak. Look, uh, because of time, I'm going to have to uh, cut our discussion, but it's one of those discussions, and I'm glad that you mentioned the fact that um, we as parents need to be accountable and we need to um, breed that culture of, of constant learning and independence when it comes to learning in our kids. And I'm glad you brought that up purely because I'm a mother who's become mother slash teacher slash I get confused <laughs> every morning when I take out all the things that these children have to learn in various grades. And I'm not an educator, but we've been trying to keep up. And yes, it is the responsibility of all of us to pull together. But yeah, it's been tough times. The past five months have been tough on the education system. Do you think, um, Dr. Panara, that with the days left in the academic year, of 2020, and yes, you don't want to look at it as just 2020 academic year. Do you think it's practical that the, 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 we would expect our children not to go to school and feel pressured um, by the need to finish the curriculum? Well, we, I think the international research is clear that when you try to cram um, content into the curriculum to finish it, you're actually doing more damage than good. Where every single bit of research that you read on, on recovery after crisis seems to agree on that point, even if they disagree on a bunch of other stuff. They are saying when you try to cram it in, you are going to do more damage than good, and it could mean that, that the learners learn less in subsequent years. So that, that message, I think, is clear, and I think the, depart- the national department is clear on that. They have trimmed the curriculum down so that learners are expected to learn less or to cover less content by the end of the year. Frankly, I don't think they've trimmed it down enough. And I also think that the research is not saying trim down. The research, as I read it, is saying choose the most important concepts and major on those in the beginning. Get the core stuff in place 
and the rest of the things will follow in time. But don't just try to cover certain stuff that because it's in the curriculum. Start with the most important things and start where learners are and remember that they will have lost some of their learning from term one. They will have forgotten some of the stuff that they were taught at that time. And I think if schools start at that place and they are allowed to focus on what learners need to know and that the curriculum emphasizes the important stuff first, then I think we can end 2020 constructively with people feeling like I went back to school, I learned something, and it was positive. And that's part of what we were trying to say in the article um, that you referred to at the beginning of the, the, um, the, the section of your show. The reality is that the situation in maths in grade 8 to 9 is so poor in this country that if we can do a good job in the next couple of months, there is actually a good chance that we could have learners better prepared for the new year than they normally would have been in any other year. It's a sad state of affairs, but for me, that's about seeing the glass half full or seeing the silver lining in the thunderstorm. You talked about wanting to, you know, not wanting to talk about depressing things, but for me, this is about saying there is an opportunity here, but we've got to be wise and look at what research is telling us about what we should be doing with the time that's available in 2020. Knowing that 50% of that time is likely going to be spent with learners learning at home, not at school. I've got uh, A-teamer France on the line. France, uh, good evening. Evening, ma'am. How are you? Excellent. And how are you doing? All right. Uh, may I please get uh, the response from the guest? Is there a different uh, funding or uh, uh, funding models uh, to the independent schools, the private schools, and the state schools, the, the one we call public schools. Is there a difference in funding from the government? All right. Uh, thank you very much, Franz. Let's allow Dr. Punara to answer that. Okay. This is, I'm not an expert in this, so I hope I'm going to get it right. So in the independent schools, there is a small subsidy that comes from government, but nearly all their funding comes from parents. The parents pay large school fees, and that's what is used to pay for facilities, to pay teacher salaries, to pay for the resources in the school. The lower the school is in terms of quintile. So we have a system of quintile one to quintile five. Quintile one, and I think all quintile two, but I might be wrong, but I think all quintile one and two schools are what we call no-fee schools, in, which means that parents are not required to pay school fees. And all the funding for those schools comes from the state. That means facilities, salaries, everything. Mm. And, and as a result... In a sense, the state can only give so much money to each school, and that's why we're sitting with schools that are under-resourced. Let's not go down the line of things that haven't been delivered and sanitation and all those issues. I think COVID-19 has really put the spotlight on government's failure to deliver in 20 years on sanitation and the absolute basics. But, but that's some of the stuff that government should be providing. Funding to provide computer centers and all that stuff, well, let's be honest and let's be realistic now. Given the financial crisis that we face, it's not likely that government is going to be able to provide a lot of additional funding to schools in the next couple of years. It's a really unfortunate situation, but I think that's the reality. 
Now, uh, we've got an SMS here from uh, an A-teamer who has not given us their names. They're saying if a study serves them correctly, there is a, a, an app that is set out, and he says he thinks it co- it's called Moby for maths and science for matriculants who are in the rural areas. He'd like to know if you have heard about this particular app, uh, Dr. Punara. I have heard about it, but that's about all I can say. Mm. Um, I mean, there are several resources that are available, um, and I don't think I can quote them online because they might be accused of advertising. But, I mean, we can we can send information through. There are several of resources that are available, but, of course, the reality is that connectivity and data costs are big issues. Now, we know that data costs have been zero rated, data things have been zero rated on many education sites. But from what I understand, and this is working with students in Alex, which obviously is in the city, connectivity is a bigger issue than data. Hmm. That's the fundamental problem um, for our learners right now. It's not about data. It's about being able to connect and to have a stable connection. Um, and so these are some of the things that we need to start discussing with government around how we're going to start bridging these gaps between the haves and the have-nots. Dr. Panara, because of time, I'm going to have to thank you and uh, hopefully we'll have this discussion again. I think maths and science are one of those subjects that we need to continuously uh, find ways around improving in our country. As you say, we don't have the highest rating math system in South Africa and around the continent. So it's one of those conversations I'd love to continuously have to encourage parents and learners to ensure that we, we our culture is that of a a better or a more amped math society. But I'd like to thank you very much for your time. Thank you. And thank you to your listeners. Good night. Good night, Dr. Punara, who is an associate professor of mathematics at education at the University of Witwatersrand.